0: Hi everyone! This week I'm thrilled to be talking to Sister Kate from the Sisters of the Valley New Age Anarcho Activist Group located in California's Central Valley. These sisters are not affiliated in any way with the Catholic Church. They are spiritual women who have made vows in honor of the sacred and healing cannabis plant, which they cultivate and harvest to create medicine in the form of tinctures, salves, and oils. These are sold online, having been created using spiritual practices with the intent to heal. Although I'm a skeptic myself when it comes to all things spiritual, I can still appreciate the good intent. And anyone who's ever cooked anything knows that putting heart and soul into the preparation does make a difference. I'll also just state now that there are a couple of healing claims made on this episode regarding migraines and sleep difficulties these do seem quite reasonable to me. However, you'll find many other healing claims in the testimonial section of the Sisters business website, sistersofcbd.com. Since I'm not aware of where the actual science stands on these, I'm guessing that since it's been illegal for scientists to even properly study the plant, many of these claims are not currently backed up by the science. So they're just that, they're testimonials. I'll leave it up to you, dear listeners, to evaluate these claims and do the research. One further note for the uninitiated. THC is the active psychotropic ingredient in weed. That's what gets you high. CBD is the active medicinal ingredient. That doesn't get you high. After seeing a marvelous photo essay by Sean Crawford and Jean Dubois, I wanted to learn more about the group, who they are, what influenced them, how they live, their challenges, and where they go from here. So, without further ado, let's talk to the founder, Sister Kate.
1: New Age Order of Activist Anarchist Nuns was really an offshoot from Sister Occupy and the Occupy Movement in the fall of 2011. Um, Congress declared pizza vegetable. And when they declared pizza vegetable, I declared myself a nun. I was very annoyed with what had happened to my country, and I began protesting in the very black and white old-fashioned nun uniform. and every and I became known to, in the Central Valley, in the small place here as Sister Occupy. That was the name they gave me. I published a few articles during 2011 and 2012 that were about, uh, one was called Pizzas a Vegetable, which is the origins of Sister Occupy. And the next one was, where are the clergy? Because while I was out protesting, I wanted to know where the heck are the clergy? They weren't out. And the last time we had sort of civil unrest for individual rights in this country, the Catholic nuns and priests were out protesting with Martin Luther King. So, as I was protesting, you know, uh, union wages and uh, the military drift and busing being cut, um, I noticed that there were no clergy out there. And in the meantime, through the the four years that I was trooping around the Center Valley in California protesting as this single sort of crazy anarchist activist sister, everyone wanted to know how to join me. And then when I would say, first thing I would say is I'm not a Catholic nun, they would say, great, how can I join you? (laughs) So it became a repeat, it became a repeating theme. I mean, the natives invited me to a very special weekend where they practiced their ancient rituals. And when they called and said, sister, we'd like to invite you. I said, you don't understand. I'm not a Catholic nun. And he said, you don't understand. We don't give a shit. So that was continually the response I got from the public. So There were a lot of things that influenced this. There was my four years out as this activist anarchist nun and women wanting to join me and men wanting to join whatever kind of order I had. And at the same time, I was running a nonprofit delivering cannabis to the sick and dying. So I was getting experience growing, cultivating, uh, curing and delivering cannabis for dying patients who were the only ones the doctors would send me. In the process, I realized I was having to teach old and dying people how to smoke because I didn't know of any other way to ingest the cannabis. So I was running a co-op. I called on the women and asked them to help develop a line of tinctures and different teas, different ways that sick and dying people could get the medicine and get the pain relief without having to smoke it. By the time 2013-14 rolled around, 15% of our sales we're in these non-smokable products. And I decided I wanted to create a line. So in order to create an order, because we're activist anarchist nuns, we don't, we're really against religion uh, in general and the abuses it has uh, inflicted on the people and the planet. So we it took about four years of incubating this before we all decided what form this would take. And in, I had I felt I had to create a business to support the sisters before I, I actually launched the sisterhood. So in January of 2015, I launched Sisters of the Valley, the business that takes non-psychotropic cannabis and puts that into pain relief medicines and, and ships that to the world. And by September of that first year, I was ready to support and recruit my next sister. So, so Sister Darcy came in in September. In January, the business was ready to take on its next sister, which, which Sister Rose. And right now we're getting ready. We just hired and we're getting ready to ordain our fourth sister. So the idea is we don't like religions. We're not crazy about religions. We think more people should have religions of one. And we are not building a religion. But what we are building is an intentional lifestyle kind of new age order of women.
0: I I guess the first time I saw mention of this was a story. Um, There was some photographers who went over to your uh, order and took some pictures And uh, that story that I read didn't really go deep into, you know, the sorts of things that you believed and, uh, you know, the motivation behind your group. So it's really interesting for me to hear that, I mean, although you have some of the trappings of a religion, it's really a little more subversive than that.
1: Here's the situation. We do have spiritual practices. Our spiritual practices though, are all about the medicine making. When we are making the medicine, which is from a new moon to a full moon, we are doing it in a meditative prayerful environment. We do have daily crop blessing ceremonies. We do have new moon and full moon uh, spiritual ceremonies. But the point is, we are, it's not part of our mission to teach that to people or getting anyone else to believe the way we do it. The evangelical part of our work is about getting out the word of CBD. It's not about getting out the word of the Bible. So we do have that. We, we, we take six vows. Uh, so to come into the order, you have to c- commit your life to plant-based medicine and plant-based diet that is for on behalf of mother earth and the and even though we are a bit subversive and anarchist um, we're just spiritual women who want our prayer and our work and nowhere else
0: we both have a childhood in the catholic church so you, you i mean you started out as catholic but then at some point you branched off you you, you left that so i find it's fascinating that you have sort of the the nun uniforms, if you want to put it that way, but that you've branched out.
1: Yes. Well, here's the deal. Um, St. Scholastica, who was the first Catholic nun ever, was self-declared, and she was self-declared. Her brother was uh, St. Benedict, and he was also self-declared. He formed the first monastery. In my opinion, and my imagination, his sister came to him and said, I would like to be a holy woman too, and devote my life to Christ. And he said, sorry, there's no room at the end for feminine empowerment. <laughs> if you want to be a leader of any kind, you're going to have to banish yourself from my kingdom. So she did. I, So I feel, having been raised in the Catholic tradition, I know an awful lot about Catholicism, probably more than anyone would actually want me to know. And so I understand it for what it is. Prior to Saint Scholastica forming her first order, which all the nuns afterwards uh, sprung from, prior to that, there was a tradition in Europe built by the Beguines. These were, the Beguines were also women who lived together, farmed together. They were experts in textiles. They supported themselves on textiles through the hemp plant. The women owned the property, the women made the rules. The, The Beguine women did not take vows. So in my imagination, St. Scholastica really wanted to be a Beguine, but her parents were Catholic, and so they made her do something else. She is the one who uh, introduced the concept of celibacy, but prior to that, we had this For 600 years, we had the Beguines, who were spiritual women, who put their prayer into their work, lived together and worked together, but they owned private property and they could come or go. So the Beguines were sort of an empowered version of the Catholic nuns, and we believe that we are reaching back to our ancient wisdom in that direction, not in the direction of the Catholic nuns. But here's something else. If the Catholic nuns had not abandoned this uniform, we would not have occupied it. It is abandoned in this country. There are no Catholic nuns in this country that dress this traditionally unless they're cloistered, and then what's the point? No one sees them.
0: You're absolutely right about that. The only nuns that I see in outfits like that these days are about a million years old here in Montreal. They're all ancient, ancient.
1: Exactly. Now, let me tell you some interesting statistics I found out because this was a very deliberate thing we did. This was not just some hippie... uh, you know, kind of make fun of religion kind of thing. I couldn't do that as a, as, a, as a girl who was raised by the Catholic nuns. I have deep appreciation for the rituals and spirituality of the Catholic Church. I don't have deep appreciation for how disempowering it is for the women. But what's going on here in America is that the average age of a new nun in America is 78 years old. Wow. The average age of all nuns in America is 86 years old. There's about 35,000 left, and they're dying at the rate of 10,000 a year. These are not exact statistics because, as we know, it's the Catholic Church. They don't share statistics. But to the best that we can figure, that's the picture. So I have to ask you, what is a celibacy vow when you take it at 78 years old? It's not. It doesn't mean anything anymore, in my opinion. You're 78 years old. Your days of intimacy are pretty much winding down anyway. So that's the picture. I don't feel like they should be insulted about this because we are occupying a space and a wardrobe that they no longer occupy. And here's the thing. We are losing our young people to spirituality entirely. And I set out to create an order that would attract young women and would attract the best of them. So what I did is I designed it so that from a new moon to a full moon, two weeks a month, there's very strict rituals that we follow. There's strict Uh, uh, dress codes, and there's strict waking and sleeping hours as we make our medicines. But then there's two weeks between the full moon and the new moon that we are relaxed and that the young ladies can be young ladies.
0: Okay, so there's an image, I guess, of smaller groups, smaller religious groups that people might look at it and say, oh, you know, that's that weed cult, right? And uh, so is, is it a democracy? I mean, people can come, people can go. It's purely by choice that people stay. The vow of celibacy, that that is something that's maintained throughout the state at at the group, right?
1: There is no vow of celibacy that's required. We are celibate and vegan during our medicine-making moon cycles for purposes of focus, but that is not part of the vows. That's part of our custom. Okay. So what our vows are, our vow, and, and to answer your question, yes, when Sister Darcy came to me, her parents accused her of joining a cult. And when Sister Sydney came to me, her parents accused her of joining a cult. So yeah. to answer your first question, yes, it seems very cult-like. But if, if you understand us you understand you understand the Beguines, then you understand that when they take these vows, these lifetime vows, it doesn't mean that they're chained to me. The hope would be that one day each of these young ladies will be running their own farm. So the lifetime vows are to devote your life to, to making plant-based medicine Both of these young ladies who have joined me have already been in the business of growing weed and making tinctures. So they were headed this way anyway. This provided them a formalized and legal outlet for that thing that they wanted to do with their life. Um, the vow of chastity is to pay a great respect to a plant that has been disrespected and lied about for 75 years. So really, you might look at us and say we're nuns. We look at it ourselves and say we are dressed like we are in devotion because we are devoted to this intelligent plant. This plant needs great respect to counterbalance the disrespect and the propaganda campaign that has gone on. To me, the cannabis plant are the Jewish people after World War II. That's where we are right now. And we all owe an apology to the cannabis plant. So then we go on, we have a vow of living simply. It's not a vow of poverty, but it's a vow of living simply. One bedroom, one bathroom, one TV, that kind of living simply. We take a vow of ecology. That is, from new moon to full moon, we will do no harm. At this point, that means being vegan. One day, we hope to make that about not burning any fossil fuel during that period. We take a vow of activism, and that is to give some piece of every week to helping the plight of the poor people around us. And we take a, a vow of obedience to the moon cycles and the sisterhood. But that's the extent of our vows. And as you can see, those vows could be Sister Darcy can go have her own farm, a sister, and not break those vows. Because she's not tying herself to us. That's, that's the opposite of empowerment.
0: Okay, great. And just to segue, I guess, a bit, since you did mention the legal question, here in Canada in the spring, the new prime minister, he actually um, is moving forward, or so he says, we'll, we'll wait and see. He's moving forward to um, legalize marijuana. And there is always this theory up here in Canada that, you know, if he does that, it'll upset the Americans. I mean, luckily, you guys have your Colorado, and it sounds like things are, you know, loosening up a bit down there, at least.
1: Cannabis has always been legal for white folks in America, okay? So it's always been, it's a racist law. its I consider anybody who upheld the ban to be racist if they understand the origins of it. And I think that the rest of the world, based on the fact that the UN General Assembly is even uh, looking at this like they need to quit following America off the cliff on the drug war because it's ridiculous that cannabis was ever included in this. But let me tell you that uh, sort of uh, correct a misconception. People think that we process the THC out of our products. That's not true. We begin with cannabis that comes from plants that have been bred to be very high in CBD and to have virtually all the THC bred out of it. So when we begin our salves and our tinctures and our tonics, which are all meant for pain relief, we are starting with plants that test at anywhere from 10 to 20% CBD, that's the pain relief health promoting compound in the cannabis plant, and they might have 1 to 3% THC. By the time we make our salves and our tinctures, the THC is under 0.3% and internationally then and nationally, it's considered hemp, and it's not considered cannabis even though that's a misuse of the words but government's been doing that from the beginning of time so but the fact is legally we ship our product all around the world there's no country that we don't ship to and the reason is is because there's no psychotropics in this it is it will not get anyone high they could eat our whole jar of salve or drink a whole thing of uh, a tincture and no one will get high no one will fail a drug test And so for that reason, we feel, and we all know, in fact, in our hearts, that the laws were made to govern the psychotropic effect. So here now, uh, it took about 10 to 15 years for them to breed these strains to be very high in CBD and very, very low in THC. So they've only started to become like available commercially in the last three to four years. And we decided last January that we were going to go all CBD so that we could ship our products around the world.
0: I get fairly frequent migraines. So it's something I might uh, actually check out myself.
1: When we put the medicine out there, we said, look, please be experimental and tell us. And through that, we learned that a young man who's 28, who's been suffering from migraines every day since he was 14, he puts a dab behind every, uh, each ear in the morning and he has no migraines. People are telling me they're rubbing it on their temples or the back of their neck to go to sleep at night in place of their sleeping pills. On our website, we have a testimonials tab where you can basically put in chronic pain or fibromyalgia or whatever, and you can see what people say. We will go to jail if we make any claims about this medicine. Um, And in fact, we've gotten knocked around a bit off of banking systems and off of our first Etsy store that we sold on. Because we won't back down that we make these with healing intention. Well, I was explaining that when we make our medicines, we make them in a very spiritual environment. We are meditating and praying for the healing that the person needs to come through that medicine. And so we get beat around. So to to avoid us getting beat up or arrested, we just put the testimonials out there, all of them, and made it real easy for people to search them and see what other people are saying about what these products do.
0: Let's just say that anybody who has taken or smoked marijuana will know that it has pain-relieving, curative... Maybe not so much curative. That would be something that you maybe would like maybe look into a little more, but it definitely has pain-reducing qualities. It has... Uh, it, it relaxes. These are all things that it does, and it, it stimulates appetite, uh, among other things, and that's very simplistic. I mean, uh, unfortunately we don't really know everything that it does because scientists were basically prohibited from doing any kind of real science on these drugs or this, I wouldn't even call it a drug because, uh, the, this, this, um, this plant, let's put it that way.
1: Yes. It's a plant. It's a plant. And we have people telling us amazing stories and sharing amazing stories. And we're not just about cannabis. Um, this order is meant to unite women who are all about plant-based medicine. It's to create a forum where the women can come because there's a lot of them. We're being reached out to from, uh, women's groups, formal and informal in Ireland, in Nigeria, in Germany, in Australia, in the Philippines, because the women are by their birthright, sort of divine healers in our, in our opinion. And the pharmaceutical companies have disempowered us just like the Catholic religion did. So this, this order is about much, much more than a bunch of hippies uh, who smoke weed.
0: When I was doing some research, I found that although it, it seems like in California, um, there was a law that was passed that was meant to somehow regulate um, marijuana there. Uh, in the BBC article that I read, they, they mentioned something about a typo or something, which seems very suspicious to me where it all of a sudden became problematic for people who grew their own marijuana. Uh, is that? Am I catching enough of that? Or it has to do with the, med- the Medical Marijuana Safety and Regulation Act?
1: Yeah, it's all a bunch of baloney. I um, mean, what you said is very suspicious. So they put in wording in the state that says, very scary wording that says to the counties and the cities that if you don't have your own laws in place, but in 3 months then you're going to be subject to the state law. Well, first of all, that's they meant to scare them. They meant to scare them. Now, what the heck's the matter with the state law? I don't understand why to begin with they all went, "Oh no, we can't be subject to them." The state law that's coming into play in about 16 more months says that you can't operate anywhere in the state of California and get a license from the state unless you first have permission from your local county or city. So it was all a false flag operation. It was all a bunch of baloney baloney. So what happened is 236 cities and counties or towns immediately banned cannabis because they felt like they were protecting their sovereignty, which was all baloney because they had sovereignty built into the laws. So what you're seeing here is sort of a a trumping, a Donald trumping of the Central Valley. What we've got is a very backward old paradigm that is very, very annoyed and angry. The the cannabis rights people are winning. They're very, very annoyed that recreational is coming out of the ballot. They really don't want dispensaries in their town. They don't want hydroponics in their town. They don't want anything to do with the medicine in their towns. Now, here's the problem with that. We've got here in the Central Valley, four generations of perpetual poverty, four generations. Uh, We have, we pay people 140,000 to $240,000 a year called economic development people. And none of them have created a job in two decades. So the the place is dismal. It's going to be ghost town. It's running out of water. We, our pomegranates and almond orchards are just sucking the water out. What we have to do is seriously look at not only cannabis, cannabis, It's for healing the people, but hemp is for healing the the planet. We have uh, uh, some 20 miles of plastic swirling in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. We have a water crisis. All of that could be dealt with through growing hemp and and responsibly bringing back hemp and hemp-made products because they're all biodegradable. We could stop this crazy of trashing the planet. So this is a much bigger movement than just the cannabis plant. So, first of all, what
0: are your political leanings, and uh, why why are you going to Philadelphia?
1: We're going to Philadelphia, and hopefully joining a million other people who will be holding Bernie Sanders signs with a shame on you message to the DNC. So we're really going to protest the DNC. However, we've been invited into a DNC breakfast, so I haven't figured out how that's all going to work yet.
0: <laughs> oh, they invited you to breakfast. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I said, well, we're going to, you know, we'll go talk to him. We'll have breakfast, but we have to, we'll stash our signs in the coat closet and then go back out to where the protesters (laughs) are, where we belong. Yes. we're. um, no, No one could actually probably make it into this sisterhood without being a Bernie Sanders supporter at this time. He is, he represents progressive activism and he isn't new to the party. He's been doing it all his career. So he's authentic. He's the real deal.
0: Since forming this group, is there any one lesson you've learned or experienced uh, you, that you've had that sort of stands out or has brought extra meaning into your life?
1: Here's the big lesson that I learned about sort of becoming famous uh, because that all started in January of this year, January 1st, actually. Um, what I learned, which was a pleasant surprise, is that by and far, 99.9% of the journalists we've dealt with are sincerely interested in doing good journalism, so I can only conclude that editors are assholes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it can depend also I'm, who owns the who owns the company, right? Who owns the media outlet?
1: Right, right. But I mean the the, the journalists. The journalists uh, do a responsible job of reporting, and then they put ridiculous, sensational headline titles on them.
0: When I first saw the story about it, so it had a picture of the younger, maybe it's Sister Darcy, I'm not sure. Yeah. She was just yes, taking yes. a long drag off a joint. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that. I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't quite, I mean, it's a great picture, but it has, it painted you guys as being a bunch of stoner nuns. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. Yes, and that was a hard decision for us. And we decided to do that for Sean and John on that day. Uh, and the reason is we decided that part of our role is to destigmatize this medicine. So that was the first time we did that, but it wasn't the last. Now, many reporters come here just wanting that. They just want to see us smoke a joint. But part of it is. Uh, we we feel like it's our mission as sisters we shouldn't be if we're if we're gonna own this uniform and wear this uniform we have some obligations one is to bridge the gap between those growers who are illegal who've been breaking the law to get the medicine to the people for 30 years that is the stoner culture and bridge that gap to the world where people the rest of the world needs to see that there's honor in this medicine and so you know for us, We've decided that maybe it's important that we do smoke it for the cameras to help destigmatize this.
0: And actually, there's there's a lot that can be said there because uh, I have friends who, who do smoke and they are, I mean, for all intents and purposes, some of them are kind of stoners, if you want to use that word. But a, a lot of them are, are smoking this to deal. I mean, in the sense, in the same yeah, way, I mean, yeah. the same way to medicate themselves. And there's different levels. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I when I when I look on the news or I talk to friends, they say, yeah, I had a really rough day. I'm really looking forward to a big glass of red wine. Right. Right. What, what are they doing? Yeah, it seems like They're it's medicating. the same.
1: They're medicating. That's exactly right. And here's the point. And it's what I tell everybody. Yes. When the reporters ask us, do you sister smoke the THC? I say, yes, we do. Of course we do. We have a lot of work and we have a lot of stress, Um, but you're never going to see us stoned. You're never going to see us with our eyes shut because it's a matter of dosage. And you can take that dosage that you need to relax. I don't think, I bet if somebody did a statistical analysis, no stoner ever committed road rage because it does, it takes away the rage. It's a magical medicine. You could be furious with your spouse and want to kill your spouse. But if you remove yourself and you take a couple of hits of THC medicine, you are going to calm down. You are going to get your senses back. You're going to get your perspective back. So how this magical medicine could be demonized for as long as it has been is beyond me.
0: So, um, I mean, I think that's about it, really. Um, can Can you let the listeners know again where they can uh, check uh, the Sisters of the Valley out on the web?
1: Sure. It's sistersofcbd.com, and we ship everywhere.
0: Perfect. So thanks so much for being on the show, Sister Kate.
1: Well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate your time.
0: Well, that's about all we have for this episode. Remember, you can find previous episodes and even subscribe to the program over at shareslicepodcast.com. You can check out the Sisters of the Valley website at sistersofcbd.com. Please consider leaving a positive review or a five-star rating for this show over on iTunes. You can find a link to that at shareslicepodcast.com. Remember, music is by Chromatics Music, K-R-O-M-A-T-I-K-S, and it's used with permission. You can find them over on SoundCloud, and there's a link in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll be back next week.